Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bad Science, the show that breaks down the science of a movie with a comedian and a scientist. Today, we're discussing the Meg. So I'll ask about gargantuan sharks, the deepest parts of the ocean, and how the character of Jonas drank beer every day for five years and yet still had a six-pack. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. Bad science. Did the movie get it right? Bad science. Or will we have to fight? Bad, 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 bad science. Hi everyone, I'm your host Ethan Edinburgh and I've got two wonderful guests joining me today. First up, she's the Center Director for the School for Field Studies, Center for Tropical Island Biodiversity Studies in Bocas del Toro, Panama. It's Dr. Cinda Scott. Hi, Cinda. Hi. How's it going? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me today. I'm delighted to have you. Are you currently in Panama? I am in Panama. I am in Isla Colón, which is located in the Bocas del Toro province. Oh, how nice. How long have you been over there? I have been here almost seven years. Wow. And wonderful. Should we uh, take a vacation there? Do you recommend it? Highly recommend. Panama is absolutely beautiful. Uh, you have terrestrial, you have marine, you have the culture, you have it all. So yes, please come and visit when you can. Okay, I will. <laughs> okay. I'll just come right after this podcast recording. All right. Panama sounds lovely. I've only heard great things. And you have, if I'm not mistaken, a PhD in marine biology and fisheries and molecular evolutionary genomics. Is that right? Yes. I was in the Department of Marine Biology and Fisheries at the University of Miami's Rosenstiel School of Marine and Atmospheric Science. And my focus of my research was in molecular evolutionary genomics in fish. And so why do you love fish so much? Where did that obsession start? Well, I really fell in love with actually um, understanding evolution. And so fish are our oldest vertebrate ancestors. And you can learn a lot from them uh, because we have a lot of genes in common with them. So why not study them and understand molecular processes that affect us? And yeah, I've just fell in love with fish. Always have. Awesome. Okay. Well, we're going to be talking about huge fish today. And before I introduce our other guest, I got to ask you, you ever stabbed a shark in the eye? <laughs> you know, no, but I have stabbed a shark. There's a like a small piece of cartilage in the front of a dogfish shark. And when I was an undergrad doing studies at Mount Desert Island Biolabs, we would look at their rectal glands. And in order to understand the rectal gland, uh, obviously, we had to sacrifice a few of the, of the sharks to do that. Oh, And uh, yeah, you have to kind of pith the shark as humanely as possible. And yeah, I, so never in the eye. That I feel like is pretty violent. <laughs> So are you saying you stabbed it in the nose? I feel like that's what I'm gathering from this. I don't know if that's accurate. Yes, but preparing it. So the pith is a very long thing and you you kind of put it through the nose to go directly through the brain and instantly Ooh. end its life. Yeah, it's 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 not great, but it's... Um, okay, you're a monster. Uh, let's hear about our new... <laughs> Let's hear about our other guest. Um, he's our old friend. He's been on the podcast before. He's a wonderful stand-up comedian, writer, and actor who just released 21 videos in a day on his YouTube channel. It's Joe Quizala. Hi, Joe. Hey, how's it going? I want to immediately be on the record. I have not killed any sharks. 
<laughs> Good. Glad to hear that. I was going to ask you the same question. So yeah, I just want to I want to preempt that question and just let everyone know uh, I have not done no piercing or stabbing. Have you ever done like just scuba diving or you know spent time in a billion dollar underwater facility or something like that? You know, I keep getting the invite to the massive billion dollar center down deep at the bottom <laughs> of the ocean, but I can't find the time to go. Can't there. find the time. You know, yeah. my, my schedule is so busy. Yeah. Well, you're busy making 21 videos in one day i have watched them i laughed a lot they are fantastic oh thanks man uh yeah thank you thank you for your service joe and thank you for being humane to marine life and not stabbing (laughs) them through the nose and the brain dude that's my true passion my true passion is to not not kill uh sharks instantly with a a piercing hot rod to the brain No, it's not hot. Oh, so it's okay. <laughs> to me, oh, in my in my mind, it's hot. Okay, all right. It's ice cold. <laughs> okay, so uh, I have a, a big question of the day here, overarching question, which is obviously this movie is about the Meg, the Megalodon, a prehistoric giant shark. And so my, my main question to you to get this started is, did the Megalodon look and act like what we saw in the movie? Okay, well, well, let's just first of all back up because there are a lot of conspiracy theories out there that yes, mm. megalodons are still alive. Ooh. Oh, wow. No, no, they are not. <laughs> they are extinct. Okay. Just for the record, just to be clear, megalodons do not exist and they are extinct. So okay. the whole premise of the film, uh-huh. while you know, fun. The the idea that maybe there's a megalodon living in the deep trenches of the ocean. Sorry, no, not happening. Okay, unfortunate. Well, do we have like a a, a year of the last time a megalodon was around? Like roughly? Yes. Like it's pre. Is it prehistoric or is it that long? So it's two. They lived between two point six and twenty three million years ago. Oh wow, that's a long time. Yeah, that's a long time ago. To put that into perspective, humans evolved between three hundred and three hundred fifty thousand years ago so we're talking like ancient prehistoric creatures right Mm. um that no longer exist okay bummer (laughs) you mean to tell me there's not one hiding there's not a few hiding somewhere yeah beneath the thermocline or what was that oh and this was another part of the film the thermocline okay yeah there's a difference between a thermocline and a halocline and a chemocline and the picnocline there are a lot of different clines, but this movie, for some reason, was so focused on the thermocline, I don't understand. The hmm. thermocline is just simply a drastic change in temperature as you descend the, in the water column. So if you're scuba diving and you go down, you might, you might say, oh, I just hit the thermocline because you're going from the warm surface temperature water down below a certain level. And it, the thermocline can change depending on what, where you are. Uh, and and what time of year it is and and all that. So does the thermocline act as a boundary in the in the movie? That's kind of the the plot, right? Is that the because the thermocline is at a certain level? I guess there's a whole ecosystem below the thermocline that is like cut <laughs> off from what's above the thermocline. Right. So really, what I think they wanted to say was the halocline. So the halocline is classic actually- mistake. I do that all the time. I mean to say halo and I say thermocline. It's embarrassing. Yeah, that's I mean, sucks. get your clines together. Get them together. Right? Get your so, clines in line. <laughs> the halo is actually where like you could have fresh water or salt water mixing. It's about density, right? So it's where different densities of water mix. And hmm. sometimes people confuse that with the thermocline, which is where 
temperature difference is, not the density difference, but the halocline can coincide with the thermocline. So you might see like the blurry water between the two densities of water, and you might also feel a temperature difference. But I really think they were trying to refer to the halocline. And this whole thing about hydrogen sulfide, like a layer, I'm... (laughs) (laughs) It's just the whole movie was just so bananas. Sure. You can have hydrogen sulfide there. You could have a layer there. Okay. But the way that it was just kind of like an actual gas layer floating there that somehow somehow the bottom of the trench wasn't actually the real bottom and that there was just this gaseous layer. No. And then underneath <laughs> it, like to have vibrant living corals and then to have like a giant octopus. No, that we're talking about like 37,000 feet below the surface of the water, the pressure, the reason why we don't see huge organisms down there from, from what we've been able to see is because the pressure alone, you know, you have these organisms that are kind of gelatinous. They don't really have a bony structure, it seems, not even a real cartilaginous structure. So they're very gelatinous because they can deal with so much pressure in that way. Yeah. And then meanwhile, you have like a megalodon with a cartilaginous uh, skeletal structure. That to me seems pretty outrageous at 37,000 feet. That's what I was saying when I was watching the movie. I was like, this is cartilaginous. <laughs> you can't, come on. At th- this depth? No way. <laughs> we all know. Yeah. And I, I kept po- gesturing to the screen to no one. Um, I had a question. You brought up the squid. Are there squids that big? Well, it was hard to tell in the movie how big that squid really was. But it was that sucker than was giant. It, it was almost huge. swallowed that Star Wars looking glider. Yeah. The- yeah. <laughs> and can we talk about I was really excited to talk about the neoprene game that some of these folks were rocking out, like the the fashion. First of all, that is some of the best neoprene getups I've ever seen. If you are a diver, you know that these neoprene wetsuits are a complete nightmare. I don't care what anybody says. There is no neoprene that is comfortable and fun and fun to get into. And if you have hips, you know, so I once got this neoprene outfit and you had to enter it through the head, through the, like the neck opening. Oh, Lord. It's a design flaw, sounds like. Yeah. You're pulling I- the, you're, so you're pulling the entire thing up from like you step your feet in the neck hole and uh-huh. pull the whole thing up. <laughs> That's and you silly. do this in front in front of other people. It's not like a private affair. Is it made for like cats? I mean, <laughs> how can you fit, you know what I mean, your whole body into where your neck goes? I don't know. Well, stretchy? Maybe it's stretchy pretty stretchy, material. I would imagine. Yeah. Well, neoprene is also really terrible for the environment and it's it's Ooh. not biodegradable. It's not recyclable into its raw components. And there are now some more environmentally friendly neoprenes, such as Ulex, which is actually made out of real rubber and Mm -hmm. from sustainable forests, which is awesome. But uh, neoprene, I think it's something like people throw away 380 tons of neoprene a year or something. What? I might have that off. But yeah. You're just saying that's like old used scuba gear? There's that many people scuba diving? Well, it's not just scuba diving. It's also surfers. Um, any oh, water yeah. sport, Buffoons. any water sport, and fashion, and the fashion industry as well. Oh wow! Now I, w- w- do, I know this wasn't in the movie, but I'm just curious. Yeah, just the amount of waste when you scuba dive with your suit is that like a one shot deal? Like you're done, then you got to throw that away, or can you? Is it reusable? No, you use the same suit. You can use the same suit over and over and over again. 
what happens with neoprene is that with the pressure, as you go down and you dive, um, the pressure compresses the little like foam cells, right? So the more you dive, the more they compress. And eventually over time, you need a new wetsuit because it's no longer able to insulate the heat. I see. I mean, that's got to be bad for your body too, right? I I assume you've been on a lot of dives. (laughs) I have, yeah. Do you worry about that? Does that, is that like a, I mean, how deep are you going? I mean, I'm, the deepest I ever went was uh, to the Blue Hole in Belize, which I think was 130 feet we went down. Oh, okay. um, so you're not going six miles like these. No, we're not in the going. Meg. No, like in the Meg. And that was also very confusing. Um, you know, remember the scene where his nose was bleeding? And I'm like, but you're in a highly pressurized. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm just laughing because I had so many issues with this movie, but none of them are the ones that you had. <laughs> <laughs> So does his nose start bleeding when he's in the like the little center in the in the water? Is that what you're saying? I don't remember. I remember his nose bleeding, but I don't remember where it was. He was in the submersible going down to like save the day um, uh-huh. because there were two people trapped, I think, yes. down there. Mm-hmm. And so I think what happened is he descended too quickly. So yes. just like an air, just like an airplane, you have to pressurize the cabin depending on your height and your speed and how quickly you're you're ascending so that none of us in an airplane are are going to pass out because we're not under a pressurized system. So I would imagine if you're in a submersible that is pressurized, there is a certain speed that you'd likely have to descend at. But remember, they were like, your speed, it's too fast. It's, and he's like, no. (laughs) I'm not slowing down. (laughs) And his nose is just like blood. And Uh, you're saying that wouldn't happen. If you were going too, if you're going too fast, what would the effects be? versus uh, nosebleed. I mean, I'm assuming that, yes, your nose would bleed, but also I feel like the pressure, y- you might pass out and and like you would die. Yeah, which <laughs> would know? be a hilarious ending. <laughs> maybe maybe you or I would, but Jason Statham? Right. No, he would not die. He survives He'd get all. stronger. <laughs> I mean, he can be drunk constantly for five years and be ripped to shreds. So God knows what this guy can do. <laughs> He's amazing. Yeah, he really. <laughs> that was like my main issue with the movie was like they're like, yeah, you he, he no one has seen him for five years and he's like on a beach. He's supposed to be like a passed out drunk and he's he's <laughs> jacked, jacked, bro. Yeah. And the only people he knows around him just call him a drunk and tell him you always have a beer in your hand and it's like be reasonable, people. That's <laughs> madness. Maybe he was just like preparing all those years maybe every time mm-hmm. he had a beer he did a bunch of exercise or sit-ups i don't know it's probably a michelob ultra that's the uh that's the athlete's <laughs> beer yeah. the athlete's beer he had one michelob ultra every day uh-huh. yeah <laughs> and he like filled half of it with gatorade too you know like when no <laughs> one was looking Ew. sneaking one in all right we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back the break is over here we go back to the show about science. Going back to the shark. Yeah. Sorry, Dr. Scott. You're right. Something that really bothered me about the actual, you know, fake O shark that they had, it had eight gill slits. I actually paused the film. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck? There is no shark. How many gill slits are appropriate? Okay. The majority of sharks have five gill slits. Then there's mm. a shark that's the six gill slit shark. Then there's a shark that's the seven gill slit shark conveniently Whoa. named those things yeah um and everything else all other sharks have five gill slits they have mm-hmm. you know five gill arches so are you saying sorry five on each side on each side yeah this is how okay, okay. so fishes 
are divided into two different groups. You have teleos and you have like elasmobranchs. So the teleos are the bony fishes and then like elasmobranchs are the cartilaginous fishes like sharks, skates, and rays. So there's just, there are the five gill slits, the six gill slits, and the seven gill slit sharks. And the majority, the vast majority of shark species have five gill slits. So I paused it and I counted them and I was like, this is unbelievable. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's the Meg, baby. I know. That's what I was going to say. Why not give it eight gill slits? Like if well, you're, because if you're... evolutionarily speaking, as we do, the <laughs> megalodons diverged from the great whites and great white sharks have five gill slits. So mm. there's no reason why a megalodon would suddenly evolve eight gill slits. Why would it need that also? Like, what would the advantage of more gill slits be? Like, well, could it go faster? Could it like have breathe more air or something? Well, you'd have greater surface area for ox- dissolved oxygen to pass into um, the blood vessels, the very tiny blood vessels at the gills, so that it could receive oxygen because fish mm. don't breathe. So they need oxygen to pass from water to their, um, their blood. Okay. And I got to say, I, I know you're a legit doctor. I looked up your whole resume. It's very impressive, but it's very hard for me to believe that elasmobranchs is a real term. <laughs> How about elasmobranchii? Yes, it is. It is real. Elasmobranchii actually sounds more legit to me. Yeah. Yeah. And elasmobranchs, which is, uh, I think, the name of a trip hop DJ. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Elasmobranchs is playing at Outer Lands. Also, okay, wait, can we talk about the hydrogen sulfide? It is highly toxic. Okay. This is what drove me nuts. They're like, we are through. We're through the gas. And it's like, yeah, yeah. okay, you're through the gas. But also like hydrogen sulfide, when it mixes with oxygen, it will produce like a yellow sulfur and water. So if they go below the hydrogen sulfide layer, there's no way that there's enough oxygen down there for all of the coral that I saw and the jelly, all those things, that the those beautiful world. things. Yeah. Life cannot. And then mm-hmm. did you see the rover? Yep. The rover drove across the bottom and was like crushing all the coral. I'm like, are you not paying attention that there's <laughs> coral there? It's disrespectful. <laughs> yeah. I have so, I got to say, like, I really feel like we could do a three-part podcast on this movie. I have so, so many questions about this. But like, one of them was that I thought it was odd that there were even people going down there in the rover at all. Like, if it's the first time we're investigating something towards the bottom of the ocean, would we not send an unmanned, you know what I mean, like reconnaissance uh, Well, that's thing? already been done. And actually, there's this guy, his name is Victor Vescovo, and he's a deep sea explorer, and he was the first person to go to the deepest points in every single ocean, Whoa. or every ocean basin, I should say. Um, and so- oh, Wait, does that Ar- mean, sorry, does that mean that we know for sure- that there is this ocean floor because that was what they're saying is that like the ocean floor is not real it's actually this gaseous you know gaseous layer we can get through yeah okay well so 20 we've explored we know about maybe less than 20 percent of what's out there in the ocean so 80 percent of the ocean is really unexplored wow 80 percent is unexplored it's almost like a megalodon could be hiding in there mm-hmm. Joe. You know, family. Like a lot of the ocean <laughs> Huh, 80%, huh? It's no. Big enough for a, a Meg of some sort. <laughs> or two, as this movie. Uh, yeah, why not a, a, a few? Yeah. Was that not shocking friends? that there were two of them that magically, like mean, magically? Up the ante. It's, it's, it was great. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, so yes. Yeah, so, the Mariana Trench, 
is the deepest trench that we know of that, you know, that's been explored that we know. It's 1,500 miles long and it's 43 miles wide. And the Challenger Deep is the deepest point within the Mariana Trench. And it's 35,843 feet. Wow. And according to this guy, it took him four hours to get down there. Um, so he went to the deepest points of each of the ocean basins. So in the Arctic, it's called the Molloy Deep, and that's like 18,209 feet. And then the, Mariana, the Mariana Trench is, is in the Pacific. It's near Guam. In, in the Indian Ocean, it's the Java Trench, and that's 23,596 feet, and that's near Indonesia. In the Atlantic, it's the Puerto Rico Trench at 27,480 feet. And in the Southern Ocean, and Joe, I'm sure you'll have something to say about this, the South Sandwich Trench oh. is 24,390 feet. My South Sandwich Trench <laughs> is just about that deep, too. I can really, I can throw down. I could put away a lot of sandwiches, so it goes deep, too, over here. That's a deep hoagie. What's your go-to sandwich, Joe? Might as well talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> My go-to sandwich. Oh, I just went to a place called Jeff's Table. Have you heard about Jeff's Table, Ethan? No, I don't it's know like, Jeff's it's, Table. Oh, man. It's like they make really good sandwiches. <laughs> and, uh, Great. And like uh, I think it's in Highland, yeah, it's in Highland Park. Uh, and I, I just got like a, a really great, like it was just a, a really well-done turkey sandwich. And I got to say, that's what it's about for Fantastic. Me. Would you say it's better... Then wax paper, which I think is probably my favorite Ooh. sandwich in Los Angeles. Yeah, I know. Those are the, to me, those are like the two the two sandwich spots. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just the fact that it's up there is is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely it's at the same it's at the same playing field as as wax paper. So check it out, Jeff's table. <laughs> and guess what, guys? When we come back from this break, we're gonna hear what Doctor Cinda Scott's go to sandwich is. Stay tuned. The break is over. Here we go, back to the show about science. And we're back, and everybody's wondering it. Dr. Cinda Scott, what's your go-to sandwich? Uh, my go-to sandwich has always been uh, turkey with provolone, lettuce, onion, pickles, no tomatoes, wow. tiny bit of mayo, a little bit of mustard, regular French's, not Dijon, on sourdough bread. I mean, perfect sandwich. My only issue is the tomato. I'm a tomato fiend, but you know, you're much smarter than me. So you, you, got, you know something I don't. <laughs> I think the issue is the sogginess factor. So if you have a tomato around, be careful with that bread or put the tomato in between the cheese so that you don't cause leakage onto the nice bread. <laughs> Hot tip. See, you can't order it because you don't know where they're putting the tomato. I hear you. Thank if you're you. building it yourself, that's a different story. Exactly. You could, yeah, you could potentially hide the tomato in a safe place. Yeah, wrapped in cheese. Uh -huh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it, perfect encasing. Okay, great. Um, so I was wondering also if we know what happened to the megalodon. They say at one point in the movie that it had no natural predators and that it could bite a whale in half. Definitely want your thoughts on that. But yeah, did something kill it out? Was it the giant meteor? Like, do we know? I'm not sure on that, on, on actually how it went extinct. I'm, I'm imagining that at 2.6 million years ago, there could have been some event. You know, obviously the dinosaurs had meteors that canceled them out, apparently. But they could have been changing water temperatures, changing atmospheric pressures, cha all different kinds of things that could have happened. Mm. But with regard to biting a shark in half, oh, yes. Biting a whale in half. I'm sorry, not a shark, a whale. It all depends on the amount of pressure that the jaws 
are f- putting out there, like the force. But mm-hmm. also to specifically cut a whale in half, I feel like you'd have to be pretty precise with that. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no way that a, a megalodon is going to exactly cut a whale in half with its jaws. It's just not, I don't think that's very plausible. Well, they didn't mean like literally, like with like that knife. They just meant like it can like, basically cut through like it's just yeah if there's a whale it can just like go immediately through it that's how powerful it is Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah it it can bite a huge chunk of something as as large as a whale yeah i mean yeah definitely i think it had the the power within its jaws to do that but it's precision i I don't know and then oh man there's just so many things with this film um the breaching I mean, this thing was like a dolphin breaching out of the water. Yeah, sharks breach, you know, but it, they don't <laughs> they don't do it very often. Mm. And I think they only can breach up to like 10 and 10 to 15 feet. This thing was like all the way out of the water, snatching other animals and like yeah. diving oh, yeah. back in. That was pretty absurd. Yeah. yeah. And so when you say breach, you mean it's like coming above the surface. Right. Yes, it's coming out of the water to catch prey. You know, sometimes you'll see whales breaching. You know, they come fully out, but mm-hmm. you know, it takes so much energy for them to do that, especially for sharks. Mm-hmm. So um, that would be a huge energy suck. They would need real purpose to do that, not just for a show for some humans on a very small boat mm-hmm. trying to chase down various megalodons. <laughs> it did look cool. Um, what? Yeah. What about all the claims on what it's attracted to? That, for me, it like kind of was adding while the movie was going on almost. They were saying like it's attracted to panic motions and then it was attracted to boats. Vibrations. But then, right, vibrations. And then like yeah. lights. They said like cut the lights. It's not going to see us. I think that they were just playing off of what we do know about sharks, which is, you know, chemosensory, vibrational movements. Uh, and they just kind of went crazy with that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how are you going to go down to 37,000 feet with no lights? I mean, that's just not realistic. And you know why? Because there are no megalodons that live at the bottom of the ocean. So you should have lights. That we know <laughs> of. Yeah, be careful. Dr. Yeah, be Scott, careful. In, in the 20% <laughs> that we know of. Right. right. We have a large <laughs> a conspiracy fan 80%, base. 80%. There's a lot, of, a lot of stuff we don't know. A lot yeah, of be careful. stuff, yeah. Turn the lights off. <laughs> You're in the ocean. Turn the damn lights off. You don't know what's out there. Yeah. And that's that's information given to you by me and Joe. So Yeah. I mean <laughs> if down. we're voting here, two against one, sorry, turn the lights off. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Um, okay. International waters. There's a line about how he can like beat the shit out of the doctor guy and nothing will happen to him because it's international waters. This has been said in many movies. Is that so true? many? I don't know if that's been said. I, I, not should we get heard. a lawyer? <laughs> I think you might call need. your lawyer, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna call my lawyer. <laughs> so there is a zone, um, you know, off the coast of every country, you have uh, a zone in which that part of the ocean belongs to or is overseen by that particular country, and beyond that is it's not controlled by anything so yeah you know but it doesn't mean you you have the right to beat the living crap out of an organism i mean i don't know why that's (laughs) joe i I will tell you guys this and i I did some quick from your lawyer i did some quick googling google is kind of my lawyer uh 
Thousands of suspected murders occur and go unpunished each year on open waters. Well, that's true. That is true. I mean, basically, you are an indentured servant or slave working on some of these shrimping vessels and fishing vessels. They take your passport. You are bound to them. It's, It's really terrible. And it's a humanitarian crisis, really. Whoa. Not many people know about that, so I encourage people to know where their their food comes from, know where your seafood comes from, and yeah. um, make sure that it is sustainably sourced as much as it possibly can be. Isn't there a um, app? I had another, I think um, a marine biologist was telling me about like a seafood app that you can check that tells you in your area what you know what's the right thing to buy. Do you know about that? Yeah, um, Monterey Bay right. they put out the Seafood Watch, and seafood you watch. can get a. You can download it and put it in your wallet so that when you go to restaurants, and they have them for different regions, um, but it, it lets you know whether or not a fish is uh, overfished and overharvested. So it does like a red light, green light, yellow light. Um, Amazing. Use caution. Yeah. Okay. Everybody <laughs> get that. What a nice resource. Yeah. Seafood Watch app. Very helpful. Okay. We're running short on time. I'm going to ask a couple other quick ones, if that's cool. Yes. Okay. If that's cool with you, Joe. <laughs> we see sharks eating the megalodon so do sharks eat other sharks yeah right good question thank you so much yes but do they stealthily wait there and watch (laughs) and swarm and devour a gigantic megalodon no uh likely Mm. not happening no no the the idea of like prey eating a fallen predator like because that's kind of what we were seeing with the megalodon right you know, the, the reversal of predator and prey now that, uh, you know, one is weak or dead, that's uh, conceivable? Yeah, I mean, definitely you have whale carcasses falling down throughout the water column and you have scavengers and all kinds of different fish and organisms eating off of those whales to, to get nutrients, right? So it's, it's possible. But, but they wouldn't like wisely... Hang out, yes. watching, stake out. <laughs> is that what you're saying? There, no, I'm saying there isn't like a gallery of sharks like eating popcorn, <laughs> watching a gigantic. It's going down. <laughs> yeah, that was just crazy. We're gonna wait until that whale is hurt. <laughs> no, it's all opportunistic. I, I, there's no way that there is a bunch of sharks waiting around. Um, okay, and and finally, you mentioned a humanitarian crisis, so I wanted to bring up the shark poaching. Mm. They mentioned in the movie, which I thought was very cool, actually, that they talked about, you know, people poaching sharks for shark fin soup. Yeah. Um, So are we doing a terrible job at minimizing shark poaching? I mean, have these people not tried tomato bisque or minestrone? (laughs) I mean, what is the deal? Like, why is that such so important to have shark fin soup? Well, I I think, you know, some actions that we have as human beings are deeply culturally ingrained and it's really hard to make change when it's ingrained in culture so you know i live in panama and there are certain cultural practices that i'm new to and that i'm beginning to understand more and more and how culture really can influence the way in which you interact with your environment and so i think we're not doing enough obviously to curb this issue um but I'm not quite sure how to go about it because it is so culturally ingrained and entrenched. Hmm. And I, you know, especially with, um, with shark fin soup and using shark fins for different medicinal practices, you know, sharks are absolutely important 
uh, throughout the world. And they're not something that we should always be afraid of. And I think that's one of the other things that bothered me about this movie is reinforcing the idea that all sharks are evil and they're huge and they're going to destroy you. And they're going to come into a bay filled with people swimming, <laughs> minding their own business and suddenly attack <laughs> <laughs> that, that whole scene. Also, I was thinking about all the sunscreen, the toxic sunscreen that may have been released in the filming of this, if all those people were actually in a real, mm-hmm. but I don't know if they're a coral that seemed to be a kelp forest. But anyway, mm. so should people, sorry, should people not wear sunscreen if they're going swimming in the ocean? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying uh, be aware of what toxins you are putting on your body and also putting into the water. So sunscreens that contain toxins and toxic chemicals such as octocrylene, octanoxate, oxybenzone, and even titanium dioxide. I personally choose to use zinc-based products that I know are not causing harm to corals and that are not causing harm to me. Yeah. Uh, and to and to us, you know. Sure. It's been there are a lot of uh, studies showing that these chemicals can disrupt hormone regulation Whoa. and can cause polyp deformation in corals. So, we know that these are happening in the laboratory studies, but if we know, then we should probably not put them out there. We should be more aware of what kinds of sunscreens we're we're using and the the chemicals that we're consuming. So that scene made me panic because I thought oh, <laughs> that's the scariest is, scene in the movie for you. Yeah, it oh, is. Oh my god, the sunscreen. <laughs> that's why you need a scientist here. Come yeah. on. No good. No, I honestly, I don't think I've ever even thought about that. And I'm very white, so that is going to apply to me for sure. I'm, I need to buy the proper sunscreen. Yeah, you need you. Probably also need a rash guard that's made from Excuse me. recycled materials. Ooh, damn. Uh, what? Burn, maybe, maybe, maybe. Got his ass. <laughs> yeah, how about you get a rash guard too, idiot? Why don't you get a rash guard? Get the hell out of my sight. What do you? What does that mean? Are you? I just mean to cover your skin instead of using a a, a lotion. Oh. You know, you can use, there are other ways to protect your skin than putting on some kind of lotion that's going to come off in the water anyway. You can use a rash guard. Rash guard. Oh my God, I'm looking at them now. This looks very cool, Joe. This is what we should wear to the beach, bro. Oh, when we, when we, hit, when we hit the waves, yeah. bro? I'm just going to wear this all the time. I'm going to be honest with you. Well, I want a photo of the two of you together at the beach with fins, mass <laughs> snorkel, rash guards, and zinc oxide all over your faces. Just, yeah. <laughs> No problem. I would love to do that. Amazing. All right. Well, the only other thing I had, and maybe uh, Joe, you can help me out with this one, is yeah. how does Jason Statham maintain that beard stubble throughout the whole movie? It's like the same exact precise yeah, length. Yeah. You know, I think it has to do with the, with the pressure, uh, you know, yep. the pressure of the water. It's uh, that definitely will maintain a, a certain length of of beard that's what i was gonna say yeah and also i gotta say this is not related to anything but just looking at him and being like you know there we don't have a ton of bald movie stars anymore and it really works for him and god bless him you know and the rock the rock's bald that's true yeah he he sure is and you know there's there is something about like I think you can get away with being bald if you're buff. You, clearly. But like when you're bald and like kind of scrawny, you just look like Billy Corgan. <laughs> there's not, there's no in between. You're either a huge no. rock star, famous buff athlete, movie star. Or you're Moby. Or, right. Oh, no. <laughs> like there's no, there's really. No. Or you're a dorky DJ, a vegan DJ. Yeah. You're, uh, what What was the DJ name? O- 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 Obel Shranks Elder or whatever? Elder Brinks. Elder Brinks. I don't know. Dr. Scott, what was that? 
Elasmobranks. 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 Yeah, you're either The Rock or Elasmobranks if you're bald. I'm sorry, yeah. that's the truth. Um, I I just like to add that I think that this movie was about 45 minutes too long. Um, I think it could have ended. <laughs> Thank you. You don't see the Meg for like the first hour or something. Like it takes a long time to just see the Meg. Yeah. And I kept being, I kept screaming, "Where's the Meg?" while I was watching. I feel like the movie could have ended with with the father's passing. You know, the dead dad. Mm. Uh, uh-huh. the the sure. woman. I feel like we could have had closure there, mm-hmm. but then it, no, it went on. It went on and on. Well, you needed you needed Rain Wilson to die because he's just such <laughs> right. a, he's such a dick, and that's yeah. very satisfying. Yeah, billionaire yeah. death mm-hmm. always good. Throw in there, um, and you needed yeah. just that mercenary scene where they're dropping depth charges. Right, <laughs> gotta have that. <laughs> that um, was, and then they're like, oh, it's a whale. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. <laughs> We blew up a whale. Blew up a whale again. I mean, I just love that as we're winding down as a scientist and, and, you know, you're you're trying to look out for ecosystems and stuff. You had to just get in one more shit on the movie. (laughs) I thought this movie was too long. Story structure. (laughs) That was the one point you really wanted to make. Yeah. Um, Dr. Cinda Scott, thank you for joining me so much. Joe, as always, it's a freaking pleasure. Joe, these videos are so great. People can get them on thank your you. YouTube. Uh, is there something you want? Yeah, you know, oh, yeah, go. You can you can go to my. I put them all on my Twitter too, at uh, Joe K Joe K, and you know you can go to my YouTube or my website. I tried to make it accessible everywhere. Uh, JoeQuazala.com. Just look at the title of this podcast to see how to spell that. Uh, but yeah. There's, so there's a bunch of videos. It's it's over an hour of stuff. So if you're looking for something to just sit back, hit the playlist, it'll you know automatically play them. Hopefully it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, they're great. And they completely range in like genre and style. So you're definitely going to find something that you love, whether it's like a music video or, you know, a funny sketch or something uh, dramatic, scary. I mean, he's got it all. So you really need to at least watch some of them or else you're as good as a shark poacher and you deserve to be jailed agree is that accurate yeah, yeah that's if you accurate. don't watch my videos i will i will take you to international waters and beat the shit out of you <laughs> there's nothing anyone <laughs> oh can God. do about that it's a promise and i'll get away with it wow that is uh <laughs> that's right as far as i'm concerned <laughs> yes uh dr cinda scott uh anything you'd like to inform people about um i think just making choices that are um marine friendly you know if you can buy a wetsuit that is not um, based on petroleum products and drilling, uh, that's great. If you can avoid uh, using sunscreens that are toxic, that's wonderful. If you could please get the word out that sharks are absolutely important in the ecosystem and to leave them alone and to please not uh, harm or, or hurt them. And you know the sharks keep everybody in line. If you want to overgraze on that algae, no, no. The shark's going to come and put you in line. You don't get I that algae. I don't think so. No. I love that. So, you know, just just to be more aware of, of the stuff that you buy and the things that you consume. Excellent. Yeah. Great advice. Um, I will reiterate that Seafood Watch uh, app as well. You know, get to know what you're eating and buying. And uh, if you see a shark poacher, man. Take that fool out. I give you permission yes. on this website, uh, on this podcast. And <laughs> and maybe we can do away with Shark Week while we're at it. I feel like that's not helping anybody as far as the, you know. Yeah. More Shark Tank, less Shark Week. <laughs> yes. That's what I say. Great. 
Uh, I love that philosophy. All right. Thank you both so much. Uh, we'll talk uh, for the Meg 2, which I believe is happening. The Meganing. I think that... Wait, are you serious? I believe I, I... it's called The Trench. The Meg... It's called... Why? The Meg 2, The Trench. I, I Because no. it made money. No. Yeah. We will talk at okay. that point. But until then, have a wonderful time. Thanks for joining me and goodbye. Take care. Bye. Bad Science is a Seeker podcast produced by Emily Feld and me, Ethan Edinburgh. Our editor is Lucas Bollinger, and our social media is managed by Blue Whale Media. Shout out to EJ and Kate. And the executive prehistoric deucer is Brett Kushner. Oh, follow us on Instagram at Bad Science Pod. If there's a movie you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, feel free to email at badscienceatseeker.com. That's badscienceatseeker.com. And please leave us an iTunes review. Give us five stars. I sound like an Uber driver. But it does help. It makes sure people know about the podcast, which we really appreciate. Thanks for listening. Bye.